Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. <laughs> a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. We haven't faith. said that for a while. We should. I haven't said line. that in a while. Well, yeah. that's, you, it, you are, that's your job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is, there we go. That is what you contribute. Problem to. <laughs> solved. We've, we've got everything under control here, everyone. Now we know oh, my job. Sorry my job no it's all right it's all right i can i can handle <laughs> you it you do a lot and you, you do all the technical aspects of this it's really uh well you know i was <laughs> i just want everyone to know uh, this is i'm gonna push out the patreon real quick here okay this was not planned but if you're a, a listener <laughs> we, you know please uh consider supporting us if, yeah. if you're enjoying the podcast and you find it helpful please consider supporting us you can find that link on our homepage. i was thinking the other day about how much time you and i spend on this spend and it wasn't time. we weren't we were we're not trying to get rich but no, no, no. uh you know, covering costs. And I figured, yeah. you know, on my end and we're spending about four hours a week on our end doing all the, you know, recording, right. editing, uploading and all that good stuff. And, and you're putting in time as well. And so between the recording and preparation, I put in like an hour and five minutes a, a week. So. <laughs> <laughs> a little light on the no, preparation. A little, a little more then. A little more there. Yes, this is episode it, 98, though, right? This is episode 98. It's pretty, it's pretty, so we're two more. We're two episodes away. Let me see. Let me do the math. Yeah, so two. next episode will be 99. We have not prepped for the math, right, Brian? 100 minus 98? Yeah, that? I usually ask that. So Yeah, so but, anyway. Uh, yeah, we're two, two episodes away from our century mark. So we, if yes, you like this, share it. I also say share it. A lot of the people know we're out there. And uh, we'd love to. And I will say again, if, uh, and we alluded to this last week, and I know some of you have done it. Uh, I'm working on a new uh, email newsletter yeah. um, because social media is just not doing its thing for us. We're, you know, we're, we've been putting out quite a bit of stuff and looking by the reach of it, people are just not seeing it. Yeah. And so um, we're going to be start doing a lot of our communication through the email. Um, and we do have some things coming up uh, that. I think you will all be interested yes. in. Um, so, you know, for you personally, if you're uh, in a small group. I suppose what we normally do, these will be interesting things. Yeah, as opposed to what's <laughs> happening right now, uh, it might, some things that might be of interest to you. Um, working on maybe some small group curriculum, um, some questions. I don't know, maybe you've ever been in a small group and feel like the questions can be a little mm-hmm. off. We're yeah. working on some stuff there. Um, so anyway, all that to say, we're back. It's episode ninety-eight, yes. and what are we talking about today, Brian? Mark nine. This is this. We're, this is kind of a two-parter. This is you know. This is going to harken back to the golden age of television in like the seventies and the eighties. But mm-hmm. every once in a while, your favorite sitcom would have a part, a two-parter episode, and this is a two-parter oh, episode yes. like that. The, this is this, is, this is before be Netflix continued. and binging and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. This oh, is okay. a, this is a to be continued. In a way, we talked about Mark eight, and it's a self-contained thing. But I would say if you've not listened. To last week's episode, go back and listen to Mark 8 first. Uh, and we're going to kind of continue with that same vein with Mark 9. We've, we've talked about narrative, kind of how do we look at this as a whole? And, and I think, I think you know, you said Mark 8 was kind of interesting. There were some things that you saw there that you had never seen the connections before. And that's the advantage of kind of using a narrative approach where we're saying, Mark, when he put this down, uh, if it's Peter's preaching or if it's not, however we understand that, uh, when he put these things down, he, he wrote them in the way that he did for a reason. He connected the stories and chose to include the stories that he did and put them in the arrangement that he did for a purpose. 
Uh, and last week, you remember what we kind of said were some of the, th- what did you notice about last week? What did the, you think about We had Mark some 8? markers. We had some geography markers where right. it was, where it seemed more of a Gentile territory. Yeah. Jesus was received well. Yeah. And the, and the Jewish territory, we had the fair, you know, it just sure. over here and the Pharisees did this and Jesus jumps right back in the boat <laughs> and scoots back over <laughs> right. the other side. So, uh, so we, that- we, we had that. We had the disciples. Yeah. Um, you know, there was some. Um, maybe you had kind of said like maybe we were supposed to kind of see ourselves as the disciples. I think so. I in think in Mark. I think in Mark, he kind of wants us to take that tack, and and basically he's trying to say, hey, there's a little bit more to understand about who Jesus is. I think is part of what's going on here. But so yeah. So I, I last week I kind of presented there are these different groups. We talked about characterization, and these different mm. groups kind of play different roles. And so in Mark chapter nine, I'm going to tell you, I think the focus is primarily on the disciples. Now, here's one of those examples. Okay. Again, if, if we looked at just some of these individual stories, um, I used the, the fancy term pericope yesterday or last last week. If, if we if we just looked at the individual kind of the little chunks without thinking about the connections between them, then we might not notice this, but Mark nine is really pretty strongly focused on the disciples. I encourage you just, just read. And there's going to, we're going to basically work all the way through Mark nine today or most of it. Um, So I'd encourage you just, if you read it, the disciples are kind of the central part of the story. Now, if we just looked at some parts of it, you might not see this, but I think even when we, when we put it together, I think you're going to see even those parts are kind of focused on the disciple. But just like we had last week, there was that weird weird healing in Mark 8 yeah, where, yes. where he saw them as trees. And I said, hey, this may be trying to tell us something about the way the disciples are seeing. We kind of have a weird story in this one that people mm-hmm. do all kinds of things with and they're trying to understand it. But I think if we look at it within its narrative context, it, it kind of it kind of you know, comes across. So that, that's what I think we're, we're looking at. Verses two through four. This is, this is the account we call the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's a very interesting story. All three gospel writers uh, tell us, or all three synoptic gospel writers tell us this. Um, and, and if you look at verses two through four, go ahead and read that for us if you don't mind, Ryan. Yep. This, is the, this is the NIV. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Okay, so a couple things, and I wouldn't even plan on doing this, but do you see how it starts? After six days is... A time. It's a time. Temporal temporal marker. marker. I mean, it's it's a class. It's a classic temporal marker right there. Classic, of course. (laughs) So that's saying, okay, here's another section, Uh, and and it's interesting. This is one example. We need to do an episode on how the chapters and verses came about. This is an example, though, of where chapter nine, verse one, probably actually goes with with chapter eight. And I actually, I think I did did deal with that last last time, but. Verse two really kind of is where the mark begins here. We we would say narratively when we begin to look at this. So he takes these three: Peter, James, and John. We call these sometimes the inner circle. They seem to they they show up in places where some of the other disciples don't. Uh, for example, in the garden, um, he he takes all all the disciples into the garden with him on on the night of his arrest. But then Peter, James, and John go in a little bit further. If you might you might remember that. And there's these kind of uh, occasions. And this is one of those. Peter, James, and John are taken up on a high mountain, it says. I'm not going to talk about this today. There's lots of debate about which mountain this is in Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry in Israel, and uh, or outside of Israel. And and that's not really the main point today. The fact that it is up on a mountain probably is, because this is a place where revelation often takes place, where uh, you know Moses goes up on a mountain to receive the Ten, Ten Commandments, for example. And, and it says that he is transfigured, he's changed. Now, you laughed a little bit when you got to that description of his clothing is dazzling white. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, white often talks about purity or holiness, this kind of thing. You laugh because was it, because it says no one in the world could bleach on these. White, yes. That's right? what yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, again, to get, go with our seventies TV. It's like, uh, it makes your white so white. white. So that, that'll, that'll be a throwback. <laughs> for some, yeah, yes. That'll be a throwback for some of you. Some of you are going, what's a commercial, but uh, anyway, his clothes are dazzling white. <laughs> Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then 
there's Elijah and Moses who appear with him. And one of the things we have to think about is what is the significance of, of Elijah and Moses appearing on this mountain with Jesus? So here's Jesus transfigured, and, and James and John and Peter see Elijah and Moses as well. I always have students ask this when I'm, when I'm teaching this, is they'll say, well, how did they know who they were? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, maybe Moses had 10 commands. I don't know. They just knew. Hi, they my, knew they that's had who name was, tags. Right? Hi, my name is Elijah. <laughs> But anyway, here's Moses and Elijah. What, what do you think? What's significant about the two of them? Do you think what what when you think well, of Moses? What do you think about? Well, leading the people out of okay. Egypt, Exodus. Okay. I mean, he's kind of the the bringer of the law. Sure, the lawgiver is often one of the terms we use. What were you going to say before that? I I kind of cut you off. I was going to say prophet, maybe okay. you know, with Elijah. Elijah's sure. a prophet. Um, yeah, he's a Elijah, prophet. He's like the big prophet for for yeah. Israel. You know, not not a writing prophet, but he he's the prophet. If you think about some of the stories of displays of power in the Old Testament, right? God using someone to display his power. Now, Exodus obviously was a was a big deal, but there's but, a little bit know, of power there too. Yeah, right. Elijah heals people. He he is able to provide food miraculously. Not exactly like the feeding of the five thousand, but you might remember he 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 provides oil miraculously. He causes a famine to come on the land, and then and then causes the rain to come again, a drought, you know, and and. Mm-hmm. And uh, fire falls from heaven. You know all of these really kind of miraculous signs. So I kind of see this. And again, there's there's uh, this is no right answer on this. But you know Moses is the lawgiver, and and um, Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen says uh, it's a really important uh, prophecy in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen, Moses says another uh, uh, prophet will come like me from among you. You are to listen to him. And uh, and so this is kind of seen pointing toward this one who's going to be a, another lawgiver, a second giver of the law, or uh, a teacher. You know the, the the idea that he's teaching, and it makes me think about Jesus teaching with authority. Um, so he often will quote the Old Testament, right? He'll he'll talk to the rich young ruler and said, you know, here's the here's what the Ten Commandments say, but I, here's what I say to you. So. So here, here are those kind of things. But then on the other hand, you've got Elijah who shows his power. And, and Jesus, again, is compared to the power of Elijah, right? And, and right. Even, John the Baptist is asking the question, are you Elijah? Exactly. Or is there someone else? Exactly. And you might remember, you might remember that um, uh, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Elijah is one of the answers. And I think that's the reason isn't necessarily the prophecy um, in terms of the speak, spoken part of it, but I think in terms of the thing, the Power. miraculous things that Jesus is doing. So the things that he's teaching and the things that he's doing, we see kind of in, in, in on, on par with them. So so that's part of at least what's going on. And again, I'm not saying that's, that's all it is, but I think that's, that's at least part of it. And then look at verses five and six, because we see Peter's response here. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi... And this is, you know, this is the term of a disciple to a teacher. Rabbi right. means my teacher is literally what it, what it means in, in Aramaic. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. And this is the word, you, sometimes some of your translations will say tabernacles or tents. This is the word skene. Uh, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then I love, I love this parenthetical statement, at least it's parenthetical in English. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And so leave it to Peter, even though he didn't know what to say, he had to say something, right? So. Uh, 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 uh. Three tenths, so, one for you. <laughs> right. So even though he didn't know what to say, he, you know, because of their fear and the, the frightened here, I think is, is it's similar to what we see people's response to angels, right? When you see Jesus transfigured in this way, it is it is a sense of awe and respect. Um, it's the supernatural breaking into the natural, right? Or the uh, you know the 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 glorified breaking into the mundane. However, we want to think about that. And so here's you know they're afraid, but but Peter says this. And what do you think is the significance of what he says here? That that we want to put up these three tabernacles. What? What does it show that his here, – here's maybe the way I should ask this. What do you think it shows about his understanding of what's taking place? I think he thinks that physically <laughs> Moses and Elijah have returned. Have returned, and and 
there's there's been lots of you know if you read the commentaries on this there's lots of different ideas some people say he's saying he wants to prolong the experience so hey let's hang out here for a while uh you know some people talk about that that he you know it's kind of a mountain you know quote unquote mountaintop experience right he's wanting he's wanting to prolong anything else that you notice he says let's put up three shelters and and i think for peter this is a big deal remember he's just the one who said in in chapter eight i think that you're the messiah right Mm -hmm. and and the promise remember the promise was elijah's going to come before the the coming of the messiah and and we'll get into that a little bit uh, as well and a little bit later um but but here's this here's this um this idea my teacher my rabbi is equal to Moses mm. and Elijah and that's a big deal right he's right. he's on par with so i'm going to make three tabernacles one for each of you guys right right now again the problem has been with the disciples they understand a lot but they don't quite get it and that's what I think the significance of this is and the focus on the disciples, because look at what happens next. And go ahead and read verses seven and eight. Yeah. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So this is kind of the answer to that. You know, Peter says, let's put up three tabernacles and there's a cloud that comes. Some people talk about this idea of the cloud of glory or you think about you mentioned the Exodus earlier, this cloud that went before uh, them uh, in the day before the Israelites in the day. However, we understand this cloud that comes on the temple when when uh, uh, Solomon dedicates the temple. However, we understand this, this cloud covers them. But then it's only Jesus that remains. So Peter's understanding is, hey, Jesus is equivalent to Elijah and Moses. And I think the answer here is, no, this is my son, <laughs> right? Right. Jesus is not on par with Elijah and Moses. He is superior to Elijah and Moses is what's going on. You, you understand part of it, Peter, but you don't fully get the picture of Jesus' identity. And that's what we said a little bit last week. Again, focused on different groups and the way they respond to him. Uh, this again, if we're focusing on the disciples, it's that you don't fully understand who, who Jesus is. Um, so they're being, you're being taken to a little bit different understanding. Now, when I preach this, uh, and, and, you know, again, I've been preaching through, through Mark, I, I talked a little bit about the kind of things that can prevent us from having, from grasping fully, uh, everything about who Jesus is from, from knowing him fully in, in a way. And I think one of the things that, that Peter's running into, and I think it happened to him in chapter 8 as well, that, that we sometimes run into as well, is our worldview. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but our, our mm-hmm. worldview will often prevent us from fully understanding what it is that Jesus is teaching us. Uh, you know, we, we think about the things that we've been taught when we we're very young or the stories that we've been told or the beliefs of the people in our community and, and in our group, our, our social group, however we understand that, maybe in our church group growing up can can keep us from fully grasping what it is that 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 is true about Jesus. And, and I think that's what Peter's dealing with in this uh, in this context that Peter and the other disciples, I mean, not not to point him out specifically, but I think they're having a hard time understanding fully who he is. Anything you want to say in response to that or anything? Uh, no, I've never thought about that, that the Peter making the comment about the physical nature of them. Right. And then the next thing we know, there's a cloud and they're gone yeah. or even thinking about they're equal. And then God revealing, like, I, I, I'm saying something else about Jesus now. Yes. Like again, like that, this is, him saying that is still his impartial understanding. I, I right. just never thought of it in that way. I mean, I right. think he sees three guys here. He thinks they're big deals and like, I'm going to put <laughs> right. up big tents. And it's like, right. I mean, if I saw three guys that I thought were big deals, you know what I mean? Like, sure. hey, you three yeah. seats. And then all of a sudden, like, here's yeah. the cloud. Right. And they're gone. You know, I think the idea here is he's not three guys. These are not just three guys. Three they're, guys. They're a big deal, right? And and so Jesus, there's two things that make me think that, that the, the point of this is, is the response from the voice from heaven, which I understand to be mm-hmm. God speaking. This is my son. Listen to him, 
<laughs> right? And mm-hmm. that actually harkens back to what I said in Deuteronomy 18, 18. Um, another prophet will arise like me from among you. You are to listen to him, right? He, he's the one you're to, you're to follow. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do, what do you think about this? I mean, I know this is pure conjecture at this point, but like, do you think p- <laughs> part of this is to say like, don't keep looking back to the wisdom of the past, like look to well, Jesus for like, yes, not that the, I think, like, not that he's getting rid of the law or, you know, right. overthrowing what has come before, but like, you need to shift your mind from what yes. was to what is. I think that's it. And particularly it, it not, I always struggle with this because, you know, I, I don't think it's just the law. It's the interpretation of law. It's the tradition handed down by the elders is the real issue here. I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, I mean, it's very important to them. I, I know I've mentioned this tons of times, but I, I think it's, it's when this occurred to me, or you know, it was it was something that I read in uh, in Richard Bauckham, one of his essays that just when it just it's one of those that blew me away and and talked about shifting your your mindset or your your worldview that that he said that the majority of young Jewish boys in the first century were named after a Maccabean king. And, and that, that shows you they were looking back, right? I mean, you don't name, Further, you yeah, don't name your kid George Washington or, um, I don't know, um, I guess. Abraham Lincoln. Ye- Yeezy, or I, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, my <laughs> Stop that train of thought. Abraham Lincoln. You don't you don't name your kid that unless you're, you're kind of looking back and thinking, this is what I want moving forward right this was the pinnacle back then and the maccabees were the ones remember the big point is that they threw off the oppressing nation right and and so so simon and judas you know (laughs) that i just named four of jesus disciples with those two words right right and 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 uh mattathias you know and and all of these all of these heroes john um, you know all of these heroes of of the the Maccabee and the Hasmonean dynasty is is you know what they're looking back to and they're saying this is what we want again we want um, Rome to to be in the same place that Syria was and and even though Syria was overpower overpoweringly powerful in that period of time and Rome was overpoweringly power is much more powerful than we are. <laughs> Then, thanks. Then we can, you know, God was able to to do this despite, you know, despite their their um, superior uh, military power, and so I think that's what they're looking back to. That that's that's a big part of it. Now you're talking about the teachings as well, and, and you know that's that's again. Remember the whole thing about washing washing your hands. You know, are you washing your hands? Are your disciples doing what they're supposed to do? Right. Uh, we saw them eating grain in the grain, grain field. The you know, you're healing people on the Sabbath. You're not you're not doing all the right things. So I do think you're correct. Don't look back at the way that this law has been interpreted. And, and in fact, let me see. Oh, no. Oh, man, I, in some ways, I'd really like to keep going through Mark. I'm going to go ahead and just give you this away because this is what part of what I'm preaching on this this coming week. Uh, I was trying to remember exactly where it where it um, where it occurs. Um, but but you have this um, this guy who finally uh, comes to Jesus. This is in chapter 12, Mark chapter 12. And, and it's in the middle of all these questions, and there are these people who are really trying to test Jesus with their questions. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, which I don't even want to talk about that, but the Sadducees come and they get their tricky question about, is there marriage in heaven or not, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. well, you only make two mistakes. You don't understand the Bible or God. You know, Other than that, you guys are great religious <laughs> leaders. Right. Um, other, than, other than not understanding other God, than or, yeah, you don't understand God or, or his word, but other than that, you guys are great. You're in, you're in good shape. But then, but then there's this guy, when he sees the way that Jesus answers them, he comes and he says, which is the greatest commandment? And, you know, this is, this is one of those things that people would have argued about all the time. What's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus says, well, it's simple. And you guys know what he says. He says, uh, uh, love the Lord your God, right? Uh, th- this idea, th- you know, the, sh- the Shema is really what he quotes yeah. here. Um, the, the Lord is your, Yahweh is your God and he is one. Uh, love the Lord your God and love your love neighbor your as neighbor. yourself. The second is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so his response is, uh, 
you know, to say, well, yeah, this is this is correct. And then he goes on and he says, you know, to 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 do these things is better than sacrifice. And and Jesus is like, finally, <laughs> you know, somebody somebody gets it that the law was always pointing toward us becoming the kind of people that God intended us to be. So, so that's the thing. The law is not the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I often say we're the problem. It's not the law. It, um, it's the, it's the emphasis that they put on certain parts of it. Cause I mean, it, that, and, well, I, well, and even what just, it was supposed to do, but yeah, go ahead. Right. But like the love your neighbor, that's, that's Levitical. That's what sure. Leviticus 18, 19, somewhere yeah. right under there, well, you know, where it's the Jesus is kind of reframing, reframing the law to help them get a better handle on what it was supposed to accomplish. Exactly. And I don't think they would have said, Oh, we're not supposed to love our neighbor, but I think they would have said something like, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> right. You that, might I think that happened in the gospel somewhere. <laughs> you, might, you might remember that question. So that that's the thing. They were always focused on making sure that we're keeping the law rather than allowing what the law is revealing about the nature of God and us in relationship to him, allowing that to, to transform us. And I to create the, what, what God wanted in the world. The law was supposed to be transformative, not just kind of informative or, you know, not just a, an issue of, um, you know, you know, keep, keep these things and you're, you're going to be in good shape. You know, the rich young ruler, you know, he, he comes to him and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, well, you know what the law says? Don't, you know, honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't, you know, don't lie, don't steal. He says, I've done all these things. And he says, well, then. Selfish things. Exactly. And, and again, not that everybody has to do that, but it's like you, you have not understood the, the way that the law was supposed to transform you to make you a generous person. Like God is a generous person. Right. And so this, this man finally understands and and so that's that's what I think. And now we're far afield of what we're yeah. talk about, but it's good. It's Mark good stuff, nine. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back to no, Mark. it's it's good. Back to Mark nine. But yeah. so so yeah, I don't. I think it's the the idea of don't look back in the way that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are are focusing on, you know, tithing our mint and our deal and that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so so here's what happens then. <clears throat> next is as they're coming down the mountain. This is verses 9 and, uh, what do I have here, 9 and 10. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that. This is verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had said until or seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now you get Wait, the same. A- <laughs> you get the same humor in it I do. Well, it's the way you said it. verse ten. Like I, you'd set it up. I mean, it was like comedic sentence timing here. Like so, I just said this, and then now they're. When you say the what, word "dead," do you mean dead, dead, or what, light, dead? What medium could Jesus dead? possibly have meant when he says "rising from the dead"? Maybe he meant. Rising, rising from, the from dead. well, especially as we look back from Mark eight last week, yeah, where he delivers exactly. this whole thing, and that's mm-hmm. when Peter's like, "Jesus, shut up," <laughs> and and that and that's the point, right? So repeatedly we've had this because this is the fourth or fifth time I've lost count now. This is you know Jesus has repeatedly said to them, "I'm going to die," and and I'm going to rise on the third day, and they continue to go, "What does he mean what, by what this? could that possibly mean?" <laughs> But but the re, you know we laugh, we laugh at it. But this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about that their that their own worldview, you know, we talk about a, a worldview being lens through which we see the world yeah. is is keeping them from being able to see this. It, it reminds me, man I'm, man, I'm lost in the '70s today. It reminds me of that game. I can't remember what game it was, but there was a you had a oh it was um oh, what was the name of that? Was it Jeopardy? No. I can't remember, but Wheel of Fortune, other <laughs> seventy shows. But it was it was a card, and you slid it in with red with the red lens over it, and then when you yes. slid it in, you could see uh, the word. Uh, you know, oh, what I'm talking it was about. like uh, was it categories? No, well, you could play it at home. You, There's you, a game you, you could play at home. Okay, anyway, okay, never anyway, mind. But moving on. <laughs> but but you get what I'm saying is is the the way that we look through that 
lens is what keeps us from seeing you know the the fullness of this and that's what i think that's exactly it and and you, you even after it, what's interesting is even after they've just seen exactly jesus yes. up there with someone they've identified as elijah and moses then yes. they disappear in a cloud and then they hear a voice <laughs> saying listen you know, to what he says my, listen to him <laughs> yeah. rise from the dead i don't get this yeah i'm out yeah could you jesus yeah could you could you could you clarify specific here <laughs> Um, so then versus, and, and again, we, we make fun, but I think that's, this is exactly what Mark's, you they, know, they couldn't is, see it. They could only this, see a physical kingdom right then. And that, so he's putting, when I say he's putting us in the same spot, he's wanting us to, to play this part of the disciples, I think, and come to terms with what it means to rise from the dead. He's already said, if you really want to be my follower, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. Right. And so we, we continue to to have these ideas. No, well, just, just wait, just hold on. If you think this is bad, we have more <laughs> it comedy, <gets> worse, <laughs> more comedy, more comedy gold in the gospels. Yeah. It's gold, Jerry. So verses uh, 11 through 13. <laughs> and so they asked him, let's change the subject since we don't Man. understand the rising from the dead stuff. Why do the teachers of law say that Elijah must come first? Now you have, I told you earlier to get maybe Malachi four. You did. Up for us. So the way our Bibles are arranged, this is the very, these are the very last verses in our old Testament. Now I say that because the, the Hebrew Bibles arrange differently and, and there are different ways that we can arrange these, but it's interesting that these are the last verses in, in the way that we arrange the Bibles, uh, Mark, Mark chapter four. Okay. So you want to read Malachi yeah. four, five through six. Uh, okay, here we Ma- get Mark Malachi four. Yeah. Yeah, Malachi 4, uh, 5 through 6. Here we go. Uh, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else uh, I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So there was this idea that, that Elijah was going to come first before the Messiah was going to come and make all things right, right? And so then Jesus gives him this answer, and this one's a little bit hard to understand. And I'm gonna I'm gonna at least give you one way to understand it. I'm not saying this is the only way to understand it, but Jesus replied, and here's how the NIV 2011 has it: To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Okay, that's one way to understand this. The other way we could understand this is almost as a rhetorical question: uh, Is it? Indeed, does Elijah come first and restore everything? It, it could be that kind of a that you understand the yeah, yeah. kind of the, the the focus there. So it could either be Jesus saying to be sure, you know what the what the scripture said is true, or it could be saying, you know, again, your understanding, you know, is it is it true that the, the Elijah comes first and restores everything? Why then is it written? And here he goes into Isaiah that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. So here you're going, you know, not only Isaiah, but you got the Psalms with the, you know, the stone the builders had rejected has become the cornerstone and all this kind of stuff. But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as is written about him. Back in chapter six, uh, we have this excursus on John the Baptist in the middle. It's a sandwich. Uh, I've talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you have that here. It's a whole story about how. Uh, 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 Sal- Salome and uh, danced, and and Herod had you know she gave gave her whatever she wanted up to half the kingdom, and she said, "Well, I think I'd like to have a, you know John the Baptist head on a, on a platter," and, and so that's what because her mother coaches her, and so that's what what happens. Uh, and we can get into that whole there's incest and all kinds of stuff back there, but we can get into that another day maybe. But but <laughs> yeah, the, another the, episode, yeah, another different episode. episode. But but this whole thing that that I think that's what he's referring back to. In fact, John the Baptist, the one who's supposed to prepare the way has come and they've done to him everything. So he's taking them back to this idea that it's not this kind of victorious, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. So he's talking here about the nature of what it means that the Messiah is going to come. It's not this victorious military uh, victory over the, the oppressing forces that you're expecting. In fact, John the Baptist, right? What happened to him? Right. And he's saying it's the same that it says that the Son of Man is going to come and going to suffer many things. So if Elijah came first and made everything right, then why does Isaiah tell us that the Son of Man is going to come and and going to have the suffering? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to 
help them see <laughs> the fullness of, of what the mess, Messiah was really about, the messianic expectation was really about, is the way I would understand this. Yeah, so do you think that's just like them misplacing certain things? Like they see the Elijah, they, they've elevated the Elijah narrative above like this the isaiah suffering servant you think certainly that's the, the reason because yeah, cer- yeah certainly the suffering servant stuff they 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 preferred i think to see yeah the, kind of the, this. the conquering elijah it was just they knew they knew this isaiah passage yeah but it's just in their yeah. mind and how they envisioned the world kind of the yeah. worldview they saw they much they gravitated so much more to that to the elijah I, I, power i mean why not? I mean, you know, that's it's a better story and quote unquote better story in some ways, right? And we still do, right? We still struggle with this. Um, we're still dealing with this idea of the use of influence and leverage in order to make things turn out correct. We mm-hmm. still look to um, political and uh, and um, uh, societal leaders in order to make things right. Uh, rather than seeing that it's it's about service and sacrifice, and, uh, and you know we're still in that same boat, it, you know, and I always say it goes back to the garden. It's saying that that we're going to humbly accept our place as not God, uh, as creatures, um, and, and do His His will, or we're going to assert our own. Uh, it is essentially our choice, um, and so, so that's what I think. That's what I think it is. And again, it's you know I I don't want to just I don't say this. I, I don't want to cast aspersions on the disciples, <laughs> right, for mm-hmm. wanting to sit on the throne uh, to the right and the left of Jesus, which is chapter ten, by the way. But uh, I, I don't I don't want to do that without recognizing my own culpability in that, without recognizing my own desire um, to do what I want to do rather than submitting myself to the lordship of Jesus. So I think that's what the story is about. Again, we take the role of the disciple here, and we're not quite understanding sometimes, I think. And uh, you know, we're, be- we're being drawn by this story of the gospel and by the example of Jesus, right? right, into a deeper understanding of what it means to truly be a son of God, to, to truly be a child of God. Um, so, anything else on that? Or no, it's cool. Okay. So here we have the the story of the possessed boy. Then, and again, often we will read this separately. You know, we don't think about this in connection with the tra- the, the transfiguration, right? These just happen right. to be in the same chapter. So, verses fourteen through eighteen. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm kind of getting messed up with this a lot just now. Uh, you know, we read a book we've talked about a little bit earlier that talks about uh, one of the things that's characteristic of the world in which we live now, the, 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 the way that we look at the world. Again, our worldview, right, right, is one in which the spiritual realm does not interpenetrate the realm in which we live, right? Right. Uh, that that at some point we we put kind of a, sep- a separating ceiling between ourselves and and the 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 spiritual world, mm-hmm. uh, and then we moved that up, you know, until there right. was this this great gulf to fix between them, mm-hmm. and and then it's to the point now the the reason we have become secular, and this is this is kind of a very huge simplification of of a secular age, is because you know, because that world of the spiritual no longer has any influence on us on our day to day, then then does it even exist or does it even matter? Right. You know, we moved to to a deism, an effective deism. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, God even, created. We believed in God, but He's He's separate from us now. We got he, it. We got it under control. He really doesn't affect our day to day, and and then uh, or even an atheism. Then you understand why atheism would be the next step from that. What what difference does it matter if I believe in a God at all? So, uh, and I'll just mention um, one of our friends, friends of the podcast, has been on before. Chad uh, Ragsdale wrote a really interesting blog. We should we should uh, share um, that. Yeah, I'll share that in the in the in the links because uh, I thought it was right on. You know, where he said, you know, I'm effectively deistic, right? Even though I would I would claim to be a theist, in other words, saying something. You know, I be, I'm someone who believes God and the spiritual interpenetrates the day to day. I often act like a deist. 
that I, I've got this on my own, right? And mm-hmm. and I've got it handled. Um, and, and so it's very interesting. We get, and it never hit me again until I'm preaching through Mark. And, I, and I've actually read articles on this, and I've actually heard, heard papers talking about demon possessions in Mark. They're everywhere, right? Right. It's full there's, of it. There's, exactly. There's all kinds of casting out of demons in Mark. And I never, it, but, but again, preaching through it, and, and I'm doing it differently because I'm preaching through every verse. You know, there's only, if, if I was doing this as a series and I was only going to take maybe one or two stories out of each chapter, I would not have focused. I mean, how many demon possession sermons can you do, right? But, but. <laughs> Seriously, you remember last week we had a demon possessed person. This <laughs> well, week, here we have another demon. One. Yeah. yeah, so so we're gonna do fifteen weeks. No, anyway, but but you get what I'm saying is that that it's really struck me as I've been working through this how much that that comes to the fore. Right. So here we have another impure spirit or or a demon. However, we wanna we wanna uh, talk about that. Go ahead and read verses fourteen through eighteen. I'll let you let you read that. Yeah, when they. Uh, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Okay. You so un- stop right there. Um, I said through 18, didn't I? So, yeah, you did. Sorry. <laughs> You're getting excited. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> so so th- th- that last statement, the reason I have you in there is because that's, that's really kind of what's going on. The disciples couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, we're thinking this is, again, if we just looked at this, we wouldn't necessarily think about the disciples role here. But the problem with this whole thing is the disciples can't do it. Characterization. I'll just quickly mention this. This isn't the main point, but you see the large crowd here again. And I've said overall, the large crowd is kind of the one that's usually responding well to Jesus. And they're the ones who right. answer and say, well, you know, here's what's going on. And, and, and so we have this man and, and his son who's kind of off stage, actually, you know, he's, 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 um, we're going to be introduced to him in just a minute, but, but the man is the one who, who speaks on his behalf, we could say. Um, and, and the whole point here is the disciples could not drive out the demon. Now, here's what I want to point out again, if we're thinking about the whole story, and and you know again I've I've been pouring over this and reading it and spending time in it. This is exactly the opposite of what we see in Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six seven through thirteen. I think I had you uh, get that to to read in just a minute. Mark chapter six seven through thirteen is the first time that Jesus and it gets the disciples right sends out the disciples two by two. And I want you to read this whole section, and I want you to think about it. Uh, and and I'll come back to some other parts of it here in just a minute. But verses 7 through 13. Yep. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. This were his instructions, or these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay. And then we get the story of John the Baptist beheading that I just mentioned to you. And then right after that story, they come back and and they, they say to Jesus, we're look at all these things we can do. We're casting out demons and all. So here's the interesting thing: they were able to cast out demons in chapter six, but, but here we are in chapter, chapter nine, and they can't do it. Hmm. So what's what's happened? Okay, that's that's part of the issue. I think we need to think about here. So, and I'll come back to that. I'm not. I'm not just leaving it there. But I want you to think about that. Right. I'm thinking. We, we've <laughs> we've seen the disciples already able to do this, and, and so here and again, you see how this is connected to the transfiguration. They come down from the mountain, and and the other disciples have been down in the valley. I don't want you to draw the parallels here, but it's not unlike Moses up on the mountain, right? And he comes down, and the Israelites are. You know, they're golden calf. Exactly. And so it's a similar kind of thing. I mean, not I don't I don't want to draw that strong parallel, but it's a similar story is what I'm what I'm trying to say. 
Okay. So now here's where here's I'll go ahead and let you read it because it's uh, you know I say prophets always get the best lines, but 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 go ahead and read just verse. Well, read nineteen through just read verse nineteen first, and then we'll look at twenty and twenty one. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, "How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you?" Bring the boy to me. Now, that seems pretty harsh. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's business, Jesus. <laughs> but the key is you unbelieving, you unbelieving generation. We've already seen this. Uh, Pharisees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to give any sign to this to this generation, this unbelieving generation, right? I'm getting back on the boat and I'm going to the other side. <laughs> I'm going back to the other side. That was chapter eight. Yeah. Uh, back in Nazareth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, or in the home, his home area, there were not many things. He, he did not heal many. They did wanted not cast, signs there, because and they they didn't they didn't believe in him. Right was the issue. There there was a lack of faith, and so here he says, "You unbelieving generation, how long am I going to put up with you? Bring the boy to me." Verses twenty twenty one. They brought him when Jesus saw his when the Spirit saw Jesus. By the way, I'll, I'll mention I've mentioned this long uh, this faithful listener of ours that was a student of mine at one point. Um, we were talking about Mark uh, not too long ago because he he was preaching through Mark as well, and um, it, it was not Marcus but Mark also Mark as well, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway. Sometimes the mind's a horrible thing. So he, uh, he, he, he's made this point. He said, you know, the only people, uh, he said, the only group that I see consistent, we were talking about narrative in, in, in mm-hmm. Mark. He said, the only group that I see consistently understanding who Jesus is are the demons, right? It's like, they immediately say, you know, son of God, you know, right. have, you know, send us away. Um, but anyway, it says the spirit, when they saw, when, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Remember the father said he's, well, he, here's what he says. Jesus asked the father's boy, how long has it been like this? How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Uh, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now I'll let you read Jesus' response too. Notice this this response. If you can, <laughs> if you can, I can see like Jerry Seinfeld saying that. Right. Uh, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. So, so do you see? He says, "If you can do something, Jesus." And, and so here he says, "If you can, you know." Mm-hmm. So now think about this with what I've been saying. The disciples understand a certain amount about Jesus. But yet they're they're not able to see this fully, clearly, right? Yeah. Clearly, yeah. And, and I think this is this is a part of it. So I think the key here is, is this question: everything is possible for one who believes, right? Is Jesus' statement, and then the Father's response. I think this is key to the entire chapter. Immediately, this is a big mark word, right? Mm-hmm. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, "I do believe." Help me in my unbelief, or help me overcome my unbelief. Um, so, so you see, I, I think there's the issue. Um, you know, we believe we're, we're disciples, right? But is there <laughs> is there something that we say? Well, if he can do this, right? If Jesus is who Peter, James, and John saw him to be what is impossible for him, right? Uh, what what can't be done in, in regard to him uh, if if this is if this is the thing. So you know Jesus uh, rebukes the impure spirit. he comes out of him and I, I'm not even gonna spend too much time on it. Spirit shrieked, convulsed, uh, came out. Boy looked like he was a corpse and everybody said he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to the feet and he stood up. But here's the point is Jesus goes to his disciples and it says after they had gone indoors. So this is one of those kind of movement, right? This is mm-hmm. if, we're, if, if we're doing this as a drama, here's the change in scene, right? We're Now this is the interior, right? They go indoors. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now... I used to live in the Dominican Republic, and this this is a passage I heard quoted a lot. And and you know this kind is what often they'll focus on. Well, there's different kinds of demons clearly, and there's you have to have the right words or you know the right mm-hmm. incantation. I don't think that's what this passage is about at all. Uh oh. 
Uh, well, and, and, and thoughts and, from Brian coming at you. Well, and, special and here's, edition. here's, you know, here's the problem with that is, is, and, and I will say again, when we're talking about this whole idea of our, our worldview in, in North America, or at least this part of North America, um, in the, in the developed, more developed world than the developing world is, is there is clearly a much, much richer view of the spiritual realm in the developing world than there is in our own, which there's something to be, to be learned about that. But, but prayer, you know, what, what is prayer, <laughs> right? It, 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 well, how would you respond to that? What, uh, I thought you, I thought you looked like God. you. Go ahead. Uh, like a beseeching God, talking to God, okay. relational, conversation right i think prayer is recognizing that we're dependent upon him Mm. and at its base prayer is saying i can't do this Uh, i need your help so let's go back to chapter six (laughs) when jesus sent his disciples out what were their instructions take nothing for the journey don't take anything with you don't take gold don't take a bag. Don't take bread. There's that whole not having bread again, right? Mm-hmm. Because what what are they what are they learning? You know, they're learning dependence. I think upon God that they they need God. Um, that they're absolutely dependent upon Him, and He will provide what they need. Okay, and they're able to to cast out demons. Okay, now <laughs> here's the problem again with the disciples is. It's about positional stuff, I think. It's about, uh, okay, now we, you know, we've got the lesson, Jesus. We've got this now, right? We can do this on our own. And so they try to do it on their own. And he's like, what did you forget? You, you forgot you, the God part. You forgot to ask God for his help in this. You're, you're, we couldn't do it, right? The disciples cannot do it. I think that was true in chapter 6. The disciples could not do it in chapter 6, but God can, right? Um, and what does Jesus say just before this when, when the, the man says, um, uh, if you can? Um, what he says is everything is possible for the one who believes, right? The one who's put their their trust in God, the one who's put their faith in God. Interesting, there's a, there's a similar thing in the next chapter where uh, they say, how can anyone be saved? It's when the rich young ruler, when he says to sell everything you have, and then Jesus says, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for, uh, it's, it's you know, easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than, than this. And his disciples then say, well, who can be saved? And he says, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so again, it's, it's, are we placing our trust? Are we placing our, our our trust in God? And that's what the disciples are being called to, a deeper level of trusting in God rather than, than trying to do it on their own. And that's why I mentioned all that deist stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. at its heart, what, what effective deism is, is is saying, well, God, I believe, I, tr- I believe, you know, uh, I believe, but... I'd, I better not trust God to take care of me. I'd better make sure I've got that handled on my own. I better sure, sure I better make sure I do the things that I need to do because, you know, God is up there after all. And, and he has very little impact on our day to day, our day to day lives. So, so you see what I'm saying? That effective deism, mm-hmm. you know, I believe helped me in my unbelief. <laughs> Right. Because right. I really don't. I really am saying, yeah, there's very little influence on my day to day life with this. Anything you want to say in regard to that after I've. Uh, no, I think that's great. You know, I, I've heard that preached and talked about in so many different ways. You know right. what I mean? Like, to, to, sure. And I think this is the importance of narrative structure, narrative. you know, mm-hmm. narrative. And then juxtaposing this against. Mark six is really interesting. You know what I mean? Like we, you you know, you talked about the, you even talked about like Jesus heals the, this section starting at verse 14, 
how we read it so different than the transfiguration yeah. sometimes. And I'm just like, yeah, we often read these in these sections like, oh, yes. here's this transfiguration and here's this section, but kind of going, how do we read this in all of Mark? And the, what, what else is yeah. happening? And the juxtaposition between the two of them, yeah. what's different in this? The Bible is not the book of I Ching, right? It's not it's not just it's not these, a little proverb. Exactly. Like it is it is uh, it is, it is, and, and here, especially it is a narrative. The whole of the Bible is a narrative. I would say it's mm-hmm. a story, right? But, but Mark, and the reason Mark can be such a good place to start looking at these things and noticing them is, is it is shorter. You can sit down and read Mark in an afternoon. And that's where you begin to see some of these connections and some of these repeated words and that kind of thing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's the, <laughs> I mean, I love preaching, right? And and I, I believe in the church and I believe in preaching. But the problem is when we read these isolated nuggets, you know, give me my, uh, you know, my nugget of Christianity for this week. And, and you don't you don't see it within the larger context, within the larger story. And so I think there's a responsibility for teachers and preachers to make sure that we see those connections, even if it's just mentioning them. And there's a responsibility for each of us to make sure we, we're familiar with this story. I mean, this is this is only if we're followers of Jesus. This is only the central story to our lives. Uh, you know, we, we probably should spend some time on it, right? Um, I'm sorry. I'm being I'm, I'm being a little sassy today. So you are being a little sassy. It's good, though. That's all right. It's the Bible so, bistro. We just let it fly. So here we go. Then let's let's finish this up again. I think 24 is kind of the central verse. Um, but then they leave that place and pass through Galilee. Uh, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Okay, and he says, I'm paraphrasing. Okay, guys, I'm going to go over this one more time. <laughs> and everybody paying attention? Say, everybody, everybody paying attention? <laughs> Eyes to the front, right? He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Any questions? <laughs> right. What, what do you it? mean by die and rise? <laughs> what does it say? But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They, they still don't get it. Okay. Now, I'm even going to show you more. They didn't get it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So he, he just said, okay, guys, here's why we're up here on our own. I want you to get this. Here's the, we're in a retreat, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to die. I'm going to be, I'm going to be handed over to, to, to these men. I'm going to die. And after three days, I'm going to rise. And they're arguing about something on the road. So this is what we argue about on the road, but they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. So here, their teacher <laughs> is talking about dying and they're arguing about who, about position, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and says, anyone who wants to be first, must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Uh, again, you'll get a kick out of this because this, I didn't, this is, ex, there's no extra charge for this. This is something I'd planned already. So Uh-oh, okay. or I hadn't planned, I should say. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. In chapter 10, they're bringing the little children to Jesus and his disciples are rebuking them. <laughs> right. In yeah. chapter, in yeah. the next chapter, his disciples are going, don't bother the master with these, you know, if only had like a whiteboard, they could write some of this stuff down. <laughs> if only Matthew had been taking notes. So, no, that's, someone that's, got that's, the whiteboard. That's, get the whiteboard out. Something's <laughs> happening. Make sure we're not. We've we've we're up on to date on all this stuff. Okay. Whoever welcomes one of these little children, my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. God, God Himself. Right. You're welcoming mm-hmm. God Himself. So then there's this, and there's a whole lot of other teaching here. I'm not going to spend time on, but I I do think this one's interesting as well because verse 38. I, and I've told you, I think all of this this whole chapter is about the disciples. This this whole section of the Gospels about the the failure of the disciples to understand. So the transfiguration 
the failure to cast the questions on the way down about Elijah, the failure to cast out demons, um, arguing on the road about who's the greatest when the teacher's trying to tell you I, I'm gonna I, the the kingdom is about the cross, not about the throne, right? Uh, all of these things, and by the way, in chapter ten is where James and John say, "I want to sit right at your one at your right hand and one at your left." Right. Mm-hmm. So here it says, "Teacher," said John, "We saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he was not one of us." <laughs> all right. And, and so Jesus says, "Do not stop him, for no one who does a miracle in my name, right? It's not these are not freelance." You know, demon miracle people. workers, <laughs> right? They're, they're, and here's the contrast as well. Notice this. Don't miss this. That what the disciples could not do, these guys, this guy was able to do. And why? Because he was doing it in the name of Jesus, right? He was he was relying not on his own power. He was relying upon the power of Jesus to do it. And here is John saying, "We told him to stop." <laughs> Right. Oh, he yeah. he didn't have the union card, right? Oh, I should, I'm not, don't get, don't send any letters about that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do not stop going. him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever's not against us is for us. And, and then he says this, he says truly and and we use this out of context a lot too, but it's interesting. Truly I tell you anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name Right. The, and I think the point here is not, oh, anyone who gives a cup of water, but it's like the least act. If somebody just says, hey, I'm thirsty and you give them a, a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. The least little thing you can do in the name of Jesus is is going to be rewarded is the is the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just an interesting, you know, the whole thing just just. This guy's casting out demons, doing what the disciples could not do because he's doing it in the name of Jesus, uh, and they're telling him to stop. Here, here's where, again, if we put ourselves in the role of the disciples, it, it's it's not about position, right? It's about the mission. Uh, it, it's not about making sure that we get the credit for it, right? It, it, it's about the mission. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's what I think is the is the focus here. So wow. other thoughts? Well, no, I don't don't know if I have other thoughts. That's really good to, I think, clear some of that stuff. You know, I think, again, if we don't see the characters, the disciples as characters to all this stuff, it it makes it much easier for us to read this disjointed and not to see the full of like... You know, because I think you see, sometimes you get into this like, oh, Jesus is confusing. Like, I don't understand this. And yeah. part of it is, is like, we don't see, I think, some of the, the narrative structure of what's happening in it and the fullness of what's trying to be communicated in it. Because I think funny. it's, because yeah. you said, I mean, even like the cup of water thing, you say, you know, it's like it's set out of context. Like, what's what, what what's Jesus, what's the, the point he's trying to get across here? It's yeah. interesting. So I think it's, it's good. Yeah, it's it, it's even if we watch a, a, a TV show today, I have this problem all the time. There's a couple of TV shows I really enjoy, but there's one in particular. <laughs> I won't mention it specifically by name, but it, but it, I finally realized I'm not able to keep all these characters straight. Now it ends up because it's it's a well, I won't give away the ending, even though I didn't give the name. But basically, it's because these characters are playing two or three different parts, and I was having a real hard time, and I I basically had to go back in order to understand. This TV show. I hate that. I had to go back and I had to basically figure out what character was which. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and so it's no different. It, it, any, any media that we are interpreting, and I, I just use TV shows because that's one that we're more familiar with a lot of times in books, right? Right. Right. Uh, any any media that we are ingesting and trying to understand, it requires us to think about the connections and, and so forth. That we're going to miss them, and I think it's no different. And again, when we when we kind of read these um, this little bit or that little bit, it 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 keeps us, I think, from fully uh, appreciating the connections in these narratives. And I tell you, I've had a I've had a real lot of fun. Uh, going through Mark this time and, and noticing some of these. I've done it with John tons of times, and that is just second nature to me there. But Mark is one that I've never really spent this much time looking at in this narrative way. Although the first book on narrative I ever read was Mark's Story, which is a not Mark's Story, but Mark Ass Story. Um <laughs> 
which is a really good introduction to narrative. Really, Let's I learned check narrative. Check mark two for this for doing that. Yeah, sorry. So anyway, yeah. no, other, I think this other is, thoughts or I, I, you know me, I don't have thoughts. <laughs> um, I, other than I, I think this is really good, and you know, I, I heard mm-hmm. some great things about Mark Eight when we did that last week. Oh, good, yeah. and I think this is. Um, I think it's good to kind of continue to see this this narrative structure kind of unfolding, right. and I don't, who knows, you know, we may come back to another I, mark. That, I don't know. I, man. I tell you, it's the more good. I do it, the more I think it'd be fun to do a whole series on this. But uh, it's kind of yeah. long, kind of long. So <laughs> we did Ephesians. Yeah, fair point. But this is longer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, Brian, thanks so much yeah, uh, thank for, you, Mar- for sharing Brian. your wisdom on this. We'll be back thank next you, Tuesday. Marcus. Th- thank you, Marcus. Uh, <laughs> Gospel of Marcus. Um, I want to say, again, to remind you all, yeah. um, follow us. Uh, I, I used to say follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can do that. That's great. But go to our website, sign yeah. up for our email newsletter. Uh, that is going to become probably the primary way that we're going to start communicating we some stuff. new stuff. We're going to announce content. new stuff. We do have new things coming. Um so we're going to, um, I just want to encourage you t- to go on there, sign up for that. I am going to start using that. And it's, it might even be more of a weekly thing. So you get, uh, so you can get some of the, the show notes and stuff in there right. as well. So yep. sign up for the emails newsletter. That's where we're going to be doing a lot of our communicating. Yeah. We'll have links to the episodes if you don't miss, if you miss them and so forth. But uh, we do have some stuff coming down the line. We would love for you to be a part of that. Love for you to join yeah. us. Um, Soon we'll be so, a couple of weeks. We'll be at, uh, with uh, Jody Owen at his uh, learning retreat and we're hoping yeah, to do some some things from there live on site our first ever not i shouldn't say live but not i was going to say live <laughs> recorded in the past record, but broadcasted record, later recorded on site yeah. recorded on site <laughs> bistro on the road in southern indiana everybody's dying Under, for that underwood one. indiana yeah underwood so. indiana so uh that'll be great and brian i will see you next tuesday see you next tuesday ryan all right bye